Zuccarellis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Are the Arizona Cardinals going to trade DeAndre Hopkins this offseason? It's something that we first heard about reported when Michael Bidwell was looking for general manager candidates that reportedly he had told some of them, hey, this is something that we're interested in doing. Obviously, there's a lot of money tied up in the wide receiver position. I think currently there's like $60 million invested in that position alone for 2023. If I'm not mistaken, next to quarterback, it's their highest spent position. Some of their, it's, high, their highest invested position. Now, some of it's a, a guy like Robbie Anderson, who I don't expect to be back. Who? Or, <laughs> Do you mean sorry. chosen Anderson? Chosen Anderson. I, I was going to get into that in footnotes, but yeah. Um, also, too, I mean, like if you were to move DeAndre Hopkins, there's some dead money involved, depending on when you trade the player. So we could get into that, too. I, we've talked a lot about what you can get. I think you and I have come to the expectation that you're hoping for a first rounder. You're probably going to get a second rounder in some sort of package for DeAndre Hopkins. But I think that this week it's been important to note the language coming from both head coach Jonathan Gannon and also new GM Monty Awesomefort talking about DeAndre Hopkins. And they're both saying the right things that they're excited to be around DeAndre Hopkins. But they're kind of saying different things. So, like, here's what I mean. You mentioned both Awesomefort and Gannon. Here is... Austin Fort, Monty Austin Fort, when he joined Newsmakers Week, I believe this was Wednesday, specifically asked about the conversation that he had with D Hop. Yeah, I had a great talk with D Hop a couple of weeks ago. It was great. You know, I just kind of explained to him what what my philosophy was, kind of the same things that I've told you. Uh, it was a great conversation. Um, you know, again, like D Hop's been a great player in this league for a long time. Uh, I'm excited to work with him. And, you know, I think any roster decisions of that were in the very early stages right now. But, you know, I would say I, from afar, I've had to compete against, um, again, not me personally, but I've been on teams that have had to compete against D-Hop, and I know what a problem he and a stress that he puts on defenses. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm excited to have D-Hop on the team. And really, as it goes for whether it pertains to D-Hop's situation or anybody's situation, we're, gonna, we're in the stages of evaluating that. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm excited that D-Hop is on the team with me right now. In contrast to what Jonathan Gannon said about him on Thursday. I have not talked to Hop, but I'm um, excited about getting our hands on him and working with him. You know what I mean? And um, obviously... He's a, he's a premier player. I mean, I've had to go against him when I was in the DB coach in Indy all those years, played him twice a year, once in the playoffs, and uh, he's just a guy that you certainly have to game plan for. Now, I'll say this much. They're both very familiar with who DeAndre Hopkins is on the field. We all are. We but all know what he is. They are also looking at it from a defensive perspective, too. They are very well aware of what kind of an impact DeAndre Hopkins could have in completely wrecking your defensive game plan, right? Yeah, so if I counted correctly, Monty Austin Fort said, I'm happy to be working with him, or in some form said something like that three times in that soundbite. JG says, I'm happy to get my hands on him, essentially meaning I'm, ha- I'm looking forward to or coaching him. looking forward him. to it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like, they're both basically hinting at, we like having him on the team. Now, granted, what were they going to say? Were they going to come in and be like, oh man, we are excited to trade that guy? We are looking forward to getting him out of here. No, that was never going to happen. And also, it doesn't do you any favors if you do say, like, yeah, we're going to look at trade possibilities, because then you lose leverage in a potential trade, because uh-huh. teams know you are essentially, we're moving him, or, you know, like, that's all we can do. You lose your leverage if you do that. So, of course, they were going to say nice things about the guy. 
anybody would, would be happy to be the head coach of a receiver of his caliber. So I totally get the language being thrown around here by the new head coach, by the new GM. No decisions have been made, certainly. Uh, I wouldn't even be shocked if Awesome Fort hasn't had any official phone calls with other teams yet about DeAndre Hopkins. He's been too busy finding coaches. Well, he's got a draft coming up, and yeah. he's got a scouting department that he has to organize the way that he wants to organize. Now, a Hopkins trade could play into their draft plans. Totally. It especially could. Especially if you get back, say, look, we've talked about this before, I believe. I feel like the package that you're going to get for Hopkins now is exactly the same package that Houston got when they traded him away when they when he was, what, three, four years younger? Kind of crazy how that works, that they didn't have to give up a first-round pick. I think it's kind of similar this time around. I don't think you'll be able to get a first-round pick for Hopkins. Not because he's bad or fallen off by any means, but because he's older, he's got more money to take in, and he's coming off of an injured season and a suspension. Yeah. Kind of hard to take that on. The thing that Gambo brought up yesterday that plays to their favor is that the NFL wide receiver free agent market is thin. There's a couple really talented dudes out there, like an Odell Beckham Jr. or Michael Thomas. Or, Odell Beckham Jr. was out there last year. Uh, that's the thing is, how reliable are those guys? I now, would argue they're not. Beckham was going to be out for the most of the year anyway, but no team signed him. Loads got, of talent. I actually got the list up. Do you want me to read okay, some Okay, go names? ahead and read some others. So here's D-Hop's competition in order of who got paid the most this past year. Robert Woods. Nelson Aguilar. Sterling Shepard. DJ Chark. Randall Cobb. DJ Chark. Randall Cobb's probably going to retire, by the way. Marvin Jones. Julio Jones. Byron Pringle. Alan Lazard. Jacoby Myers. Deontay Hardy. Just just let me know when you want me to stop. Juju Smith-Schuster. Jarvis Landry. Cam Sims. Nikhil Harry. Olamide Zacchaeus. It's thin. Ashed, yeah. It's thin. So if you're another team out there in the NFL, I, I don't know. I'm just throwing around names right now. But if you're the Bengals and you're like on the cusp of getting that Super Bowl that you're hoping for and you're looking to add an elite wide receiver, do you consider signing one of those guys you just named or do you consider making the trade for DeAndre Hopkins? Uh, and the Bengals is just a random example. I don't sure. even know if they could figure that out. Uh, it would probably have to involve T. Higgins in some sort of way, which I'm actually a fan of that I'd deal. I'd take on T. Higgins in a heartbeat. Uh, but... I. I think that Hopkins is probably the most intriguing wide receiver option that's currently out there that people people know he's available. If they wanted to cough up the draft picks, he could be available to them. I think people know that at this point. I'm sure he has places he would want to go too. Like Hopkins, I mean. I'm sure there are places that Hopkins has in mind of, hey, if it doesn't work out here, there's been reports and rumors out there that I could get traded, that I should go somewhere else. They've, I've even got former... Uh, Super Bowl winning wide receivers who are now network television analysts who are saying they want me out of here. Like, yeah. where should I look at going in that regard? And I think there's still plenty of teams out there that would very much welcome the services of a, I believe he's 32 now, DeAndre, 32 year old DeAndre Hopkins. It's not like, it's not like any of the names that are out there currently are any better than Hopkins. I feel like Hopkins is the best option of available wide receivers or potentially available You don't wide give receivers. him enough credit. DeAndre Hopkins is only 30. No, I gave him too much credit. I gave him too, ma- too many You gave him too many years, years yeah. yeah. But he's younger than... So wait, you're telling me at 26, 27 years old, he didn't even command a first-round pick in that trade back with Houston? Well, remember, Houston uh, loved... David Johnson. Oh. <laughs> so, for whatever First reason. First round talent, David Johnson drafted in the third round. By now, the way. listen, another wrinkle in all of this that you brought up 
earlier is when you trade Hopkins matters too, mm-hmm. based on the dead cap. Can you explain that scenario really quick? Yeah, while well, I very quickly pull up the link that I was smart enough to send myself. So the Arizona Cardinals, there's there's the pre-June 1st and the post-June 1st designation. It's a It's a common date known to many people, many football heads. And I was actually having a conversation with uh, Blake Allen Murphy, who does great Cardinals coverage as well uh, across many different platforms. But Blake and I were kind of discussing the wide-eyed theory and the wide-eyed possibility of maybe bringing in an all-pro talent at corner in order to supplement. And part of that would be trying to move on from DeAndre Hopkins. If you trade DeAndre Hopkins now, or anytime now before June 1st, the Cardinals would be taking a cap hit of $22.6 million. They would free up 8.15, but they would still have to deal with 22.6. Yeah. Whereas, if you trade him after June 1st, you would only take an 11.3 hit. So financially, it benefits you to trade him after June 1st. Absolutely. However, in terms of roster building, and if you're looking for the best return possible, when is it ideal for other teams to make that move for Hopkins? It would be ideal for them to do it during free agency, and what is that, March? Would it be ideal for them to do it around the draft, which I believe is before June 1st? Well, right? I mean, here, here's the example that we're talking about, right? There was a report out there by NFL Network's Tom Pelissero that the Rams are looking at moving Jalen Ramsey, who was on a very front-loaded deal. And it sounds like if they're willing to do this move in a couple of weeks, they would take a cap hit of $19.6 million. They would only save about five six this year. However, they would save fifteen point three in twenty twenty four and nineteen point five in twenty twenty six. So are you, are you suggesting flipping Hopkins for Ramsey? It's not going to happen. Here's the problem: is that if the Rams are making a move, and you brought this up to me yesterday, if the Rams are going to be making a move to free up cap space, why would they take on thirty mil? Right. And if Hopkins they are is more do, expensive than Ramsey, and to your other point that you just made now. If you're going to be acquiring a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, you want to get him before June 1st. Otherwise, you have to pay him more. If you get him before June 1st, you only have to pay him, what was it, 8 mil? 8.15 this upcoming That's season. That's the thing that I'm, I'm trying to get at, I guess, with Hopkins is that for other teams, and right now, you know, there's, what are there, 31 other teams in the league that could potentially go after him. And to them, it's advantageous to make that trade before June 1st. Of course. Only the Cardinals benefit doing it after June 1st. Of course. So are you really going to sit around and wait for the most financially beneficial time to do that deal if you're Monty Austin for it? Is that what you're hoping to accomplish? Because by then, teams will have already gone through free agency and added those receivers from the list that you named off. They will have already made some of those draft picks of high draft picks that, like Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to go in the draft and other guys like that. Mm-hmm. Those decisions will have already been made by June 1st. You may be limited by June 1st as to who you can send DeAndre Hopkins to, whereas the sooner you do it, The better for the other team, the more likely they are to do that and to give you picks. In terms of Jalen Ramsey, by the way, if I had to name one team that I think he could end up with. You kept teasing me with this, so tell me. I think the New York Giants would be a fit. Ooh. Why do I say that? Because it needs to be a team that's competitive. If you're going to spend $17 million on a cornerback, a really good cornerback, by the way. All pro, pro bowler, etc. It needs to be a contending team with cap space. I'm looking at the teams with cap space. Of the teams with $30 million or more, the only two good teams are the Giants and the Bengals. 
Bengals could be another interesting one. I don't know what their secondary looks like in particular, but I would think the Giants in the New York market with a player like Ramsey, a superstar leaving L.A., the Giants make sense to me. You know why they have that money available right now, though, right? Because they don't have a quarterback or a running back. The Giants? Yeah. They have Daniel Jones, well, right? He's a free agent. Ugh. So you got to pay that Barkley guy. is a free agent. So Ugh. they've got some work to do. Jalen Ramsey could fit with the Giants. That's fair. But they've got some work to do in other areas. Good that's point. for sure. Coming up next, he is now the all-time three-point leader. And soon, he's going to be paired with Kevin Durant. Phoenix Suns talk next here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy to have you along with us on this Arizona Sports Saturday. A uh, real quick check-in on the Territorial Cup down in Tucson. Arizona State, 10-9, driving down the lane. DJ Horn, a little Euro step move, layup is in. It's now 12-9, Arizona State, starting off early on the U of A Senior Day. You can catch that game on the Arizona Sports app or ESPN 620, or stay around. We'll keep you updated, keep you tuned in on that one. Suns, speaking of basketball, but flipping over to the professional level. Suns got the win last night against the Thunder, Steve, and wasn't the Best game from Booker, but he did make history. He did make history last night, passing Steve Nash for the most three-pointers in franchise history. Yeah, so it's Booker, Nash, Marley, Leandro Barbosa, I think I said was fourth, and then Sean Marion. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Some other good names on that list, too, by in the top ten. We talked about even Mikkel Bridges and Cam Johnson cracked the top ten. And then we got sad. Uh, We did get sad after that. (laughs) By the way, did you watch... um, Mikel Bridges on the Old Man in the Three podcast with J.J. Redick. Did you catch any I didn't any get a chance to watch it yet, no. There were some interesting parts. I mean, most of it was just him talking about what it's like to be traded to the, you know, for Kevin Durant, nonetheless, and then also, you know, to the Nets. Because there was that video this week the Nets put out of them asking him, who was your favorite player growing up? And he was like, uh... Kevin Durant. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was cool. kind of irony. ironic. Yeah, uh, I don't know if he meant that or if he just said it because it was hilarious. Uh, he does have pretty good comedic timing. I'll give him that. But no, I mean, they talked about a lot of interesting factors, including J.J. asked him about, you know, there were offers on the table after you went to Brooklyn yeah. for you to be traded for upwards of five first-round picks. And Mikel just laughed. He was like, it's just like, he was like wow. It's like, how are you really? supposed to take that, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm worth five first-round picks? What? You know what that made me think, though? Because Brooklyn got five second-round picks for Jay Crowder, which sounds like a lot, but yeah, I don't value second-round picks all that no. much. But it's still five picks. And if they could have, I don't know if it's real, but if they could have gotten five first-round picks for Mikel, think about if you had piecemealed out the Durant trade, if the Suns had done that, you get let's say you get five second round picks for Crowder, five first round picks for Mikel. Who else did they move? They moved Cam Johnson. Mm-hmm. I assume you could have gotten at least one first round pick for Cam Johnson. Now you're talking about eleven extra draft picks that you could have just if if Brooklyn had only wanted draft picks and yeah. didn't want the players to think about what the Suns pick package could have been to a team it's crazy. for Kevin Durant. It's crazy. They could have sent you six first-round picks plus their own. They could have sent ten first-round picks for Durant. That's essentially what this deal ended up coming out to. If you piecemeal it all out into the value of each individual fasc- player. It's fascinating to go down that rabbit hole 
Yeah. And just realize, man, we gave up a lot to get Kevin Durant. A didn't ton. <laughs> a ton. But you crazy. still have a team. Like, there are some teams that they, they trade their player and they've got nothing left. I mean, look at what sure. New Orleans did with Anthony Davis. When you traded Anthony Davis, you really didn't have much left. I know they they said they liked Josh Hart and you know Lonzo Ball and all that stuff. But, but I mean, now they've got a team that they... They like. Now and they it do. took the Anthony Davis trade in order to make that happen. Yeah, but the Anthony Davis trade didn't make any of those happen, sure. I don't think. But and maybe the draft picks certainly help. But man, oh man, it made me it got me thinking about the Durant trade in a couple of different ways, and it's it's really baffling. How about the fit that Durant could have with this team? Terrence Ross earlier this week with Burns and Gambo. How easy is it gonna be for Durant to fit in? Easily. I mean it, it's like you say, he's one of the best players I ever played. Um I mean, when you have that, you take advantage of it. And, you know, he, he's one of the great ones for a reason. He comes in, he does his job. He's, you know, unbelievably talented, skilled. And uh, I think all that's just going to speak for itself. Um, I know everybody's trying to put pressure on him about, you know, bringing a championship and doing all this. But at the end of the day, man, he, he's one of the great ones for a reason. I think he's going to go out there and display that. Well, and that's from an offensive perspective, right? Like, it's it's easy to play with the best offensive players. He's still He's still long. Yeah, right. Like, there's a very realistic idea that his defense is going to be just as valuable as his offense. That's the thing is I hear this narrative, especially on the national stage, of, okay, the Suns made a trade for Durant. We know what he can do offensively, but they got worse defensively. And that might be true. I think Mikel is a better defender than Durant. Uh, I believe that. And there's some defensive value that came with Cam Johnson. Certainly Jay Crowder as well, although he wasn't playing for this team, so I kind of equate it to a net zero gain. I think Kevin Durant doesn't get enough credit for the way that he can defend the level of ability that he has. And it's not just he's long and he's tall. I think he's a pretty darn good defender. And McKellar even talked about that on the podcast that I was, that I was mentioning earlier with JJ Redick. Cause he was like, listen, I think I'm a better defender than Durant. And it takes, it takes guts to say that, by it takes the way. Some, uh, about one of the best players of all time. Some other body parts, too, to say yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, like it takes guts to say that out loud, but Mikel even kind of giggled about it. He's like, listen, I think I'm a better defender, but that's Kevin Durant over there we're yeah. talking about. I mean, I think, I think it's understood the magnitude that Kevin Durant has when he comes to or joins a new team, but I think realistically we're talking about the dude that was runner-up for Defensive Player of the Year last year, too, and a guy that... Has not missed a game since he was a senior or junior in high school. Totally. And he played four years at Villanova. He's a beast. He's a workhorse. God, There's I miss no him. doubt about I that. I miss him already. I know I do too. But it, it hurts. It, it, you know, it only hurts right now because Durant hasn't played yet. And I do feel that once Kevin... No, Ray- it, it hurts because he scored 45 the other night. Too. Well, that too. That too is that he really opened it up in the in basically his first week with the team. And the Nets opened it up for him. Too. Sure. And it's going to continue to hurt even after Kevin Durant starts playing. We're all still going to remember the contributions that Mikel made for this team. And that's never going to go away. It'll always sting a little bit. It's kind of like we talked earlier, and we're going to talk a little bit more, I think, about the Dalton Varsho trade. It's always going to suck to trade your second best player on your team. Mike Hazen said the same thing Mm -hmm. this week. He was like, listen, I traded the second best player on our team. That's not good. We (laughs) traded a major league player for two major league players, but... But he had the better one. Every every good executive in any sport knows you got to give something to get something. Yep. And whether it's the Varsho trade and you knew you needed a catcher and, and a good hitter in Guriel, they made that deal. The Suns knew, okay, we're probably going to lose a little bit defensively, but you look at the offensive 
capabilities of Kevin Durant, there's really nothing like it. You kind of have to come to this understanding that it's going to hurt, but we needed that hurt in order to take the next step and evolve. And that's really that's really what the next two months of the season, the, la- the remainder of the regular season in the NBA, all I care about is the Suns gelling. It doesn't even need to be wins necessarily, although I would like it to be wins. I just need them to gel because, as we know, not every super team that came together clicked right away. I would like them to be winning heading into the playoffs. But, I mean, if you gel, you realistically will win, too, right? Yeah, the core they go hand in hand. Sure, like, yeah. I'm, like, what good team that has great chemistry off the court is not winning on the court? It doesn't necessarily make sense to me. So I think in reality, this team is going to figure out how to gel because Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant. No, I did say it right. I don't know why I'm second-guessing myself. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul, all three just want to hoop. They're all sickos for basketball. They're going to do everything in their power to just make sure that everything is a well-oiled machine. And you got three dudes that are carrying the oil. I think it's going to work out wonders. The thing that I'm excited most about, too, with this team and how they're going to gel is I believe that the Kevin Durant that went to Golden State reached another level because he was playing in a part of a system. That's not to say that the Thunder didn't run a system with him or, or even the Supersonics when he was drafted or, or ever since when he was in Brooklyn. It's just that when he was the added piece to an already championship team in Golden State with a great schematic coach like Steve Kerr and a great shooters around him like Curry and Thompson, it elevated Durant, a player that isn't really elevatable if that's a word, even. No, he's already seven feet tall. Like, how, how do you elevate one of the best players in the game's history? I think the Suns can do it the way that the Warriors did it. I mean, it's almost a mimic of the when Durant joined the Warriors. You had a solid three set, maybe one that was weaker than the other two, but you had a solid three set in your starting lineup. And now you just added Kevin Durant. It could Who's going to stop you? It could be even better. Because you have a point guard who, at this point in his career, he runs the floor. He's running the team. You don't have a shooter like Curry, but you got Booker, and then you've got a big, which the Warriors never had a big like DeAndre Ayton. At about 12 minutes to go in the first half down in Tucson, Arizona now leads ASU 19-14. Again, if you want to check in on that one, we've got it on ESPN 620 as well as the Arizona Sports app. Coming up next, Diamondbacks season, spring training starts today. So Steve and I have some bold predictions for this team. We'll give them to you next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And we're leading you up to Diamondbacks action, 110 this afternoon. They've actually got two games today, only one on the radio. Don't think it's on TV. Uh, But there are two squads going for the Diamondbacks today as spring training gets underway. And it got us thinking about some bold predictions for the Arizona Diamondbacks in the 2023 season. Control B. Bold. Oh, yeah, that is control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I see what you did there. Um, Did my best. It didn't 
land very well. This obviously. was something that I broached on the Ain't No Fang podcast with Cody Fincher, our, our good friend who's in the building today as well. Um, we did some bold predictions. I got a couple of them written out. I want to hear some of yours as well. But mm-hmm. I think that uh, 2023 will be a transformative year for the Arizona Diamondbacks, which got me thinking about what we want them to accomplish. So, Mitch, I'll let, I'll let you start it off if you'd like to. You want me to start? Yeah. Okay, I'll start based off of a conversation that we ended with in the prior segment. You you asked Tori Lovello yesterday when he made his first weekly appearance with Burns and Gambo this season if he's concerned about the lacking power now that Dalton Varsho has been gone. So I did a quick scan of the roster and doing my best guess as to what this everyday lineup or close to everyday lineup will look like, I think we have one answer as to who could be a potential, you know, uh, battery or, well, I guess battery mate, there's your hint, as a battery to help recharge this Diamondbacks power power this season. Gabriel Moreno, who they got in the trade for Dalton Varsho, didn't get a lot of action last year, didn't necessarily get a... He got a decent sample size, but I believe he still qualifies as a rookie for this upcoming season. He will. Mark him down for a 20-plus homer season. I don't know how much playing time he's going to get with Carson Kelly, but they didn't just trade for Gabriel Moreno because he's going to sit in AAA all year. No, he's going to be on the opening day roster. And I think he's got the power and the ability to swing and the ability to make contact. Like, he did pretty good with his with his uh, short stint in Toronto. And we know how much of a challenge that outfield fence can be if you're trying to hit home runs. He's going to have a heyday here in Arizona, and with some of the other teams that he gets to face throughout the season. So 20-plus homer season for Moreno. I'm going to disagree with you on that. That's why it's a bold prediction. 2022, Gabriel Moreno had how many home runs in total? How many games? Well, he played in 62 games at AAA, 25 in the majors. Oh, we're counting all of them? Yeah. So I'm guessing you're only bringing this up because he didn't get to 20. He had four. Bold prediction. <laughs> I'm just saying that. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with you that it's bold, but I'm not going to agree with you that it's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, you never know. Like, look at Jake McCarthy. What what kind of power did Jake McCarthy have in his first year when he was first introduced as a Diamondback? Uh, I think the polite way to put it would be selective power. And then how did he look last year? Not bad. He looked pretty powerful, albeit yeah. with only, I think it was like eight home runs, but he didn't have nearly as many at-bats. I'm hoping Moreno has a great season. I'm hoping you're right about the 20 homers. He's not really a home run hitter. He's He's got a lot of velocity off the bat, but I, I don't think he's going to hit 20 home runs. I mean, he's he's smaller as a player, but like we've never been... It it Just because he's small doesn't mean he's not powerful. Jose Altuve's five foot seven. He's about my height. He averages 20 homers a year. I will go a step further with the bold prediction. I'll say that Christian Walker will hit at least twice as many home runs as any other player on this team. He had 36 last season, which means if by the same math, that means nobody else would have 18. 18. Uh, Evan Longoria is capable of probably 15 to 20 in a season, but that's if he plays a lot. I don't know. He's going to be splitting some time at third with Rojas. He might get a little bit extra if Rojas slips over to second and spell Marte. Also has just struggled to stay healthy in recent years. If Cattell Marte, if his power comes back, he could have more. But he only, I think, had 12 last year. Um, David Peralta had 12. He got traded, so he's gone. Lourdes, Lourdes Gurriel only had, I think, five last year. His power disappeared. So I feel pretty comfortable saying Christian Walker's going to double anybody else in the entire uh, lineup. 
Well, I'm going to disagree with that just based off of my next bold prediction, and I guess my previous one too. But this this might be really, really strong. I might dial it back just a hair, but I mentioned his name already, Jake McCarthy. Do you think he could get to 25-25? 25, 25, 25 homers, 25, 25 stolen steals. bases? Definitely the steals. He had 23 steals last season in about 300 at-bats. So how about 30-30? I don't know about the homers, man. I don't know where your homer estimation is. I, th- I think from. we're discounting the idea of one, the playing field that the Diamondbacks are on for 81 out of their 162 games. And then with that, the other area, the other places that they get to play, like Colorado, is very much in their favor. And they get to play in Colorado a lot this upcoming season. You get to play in parks that maybe you haven't played in as much, right? Like they're going to be in New York this year, they're going to play at Yankee Stadium. That's going to be very much an advantage to them. Jake McCarthy hit eight home runs at the major league level last year. Eight. In how many at-bats? In 321 at-bats. But most of that power surge came after the All-Star break. Okay. He added last year at AAA, he added five. So in a full season of work, he had 13. I thought these were bold predictions. Why am I just getting... I, why am I just bold, getting the, realistic. the Why I am I getting the bleep stick? <laughs> Come on. Uh, all right. I'll go to my next one then. Um, I think that the Diamondbacks will lead the major leagues in stolen bases. This doesn't seem very far-fetched. They were sixth in total stolen bases last season. They were first in the entire league in the month of September. Corbin Carroll gets called up. Uh, Jake McCarthy is around. So their team got a lot faster Alec towards Thomas the end of the too. year. You move Dalton Varsho, who's got some speed. But honestly, that just opens up more opportunity in the outfield for guys like McCarthy, who could have a 30 stolen base season. I agree with you on that aspect of your prediction. Uh, I think that there's guys like Perdomo who can swipe bags, and Josh Rojas can swipe bags. And with the rule changes and the bases being bigger, you're essentially, what is it, an inch and a half or two inches closer on each side to the bag. That's going to create some excitement on the base pads. This is a fast team. I want to see them steal a lot of bases this year. I wonder if it's going to inhibit them because they end up hitting like a lot of doubles. So they're not going to be stealing third base all the time. So I wonder if they're going to be slightly inhibited only because they're getting that extra base before they have to decide whether or not they're going to steal well, a base. Even if they have an increased number of doubles, because of the lack of power, I would suggest that there's probably going to be less home runs leading to more base hits. Touche. Just using that logic. So you're grounding your bold predictions in reality, and I'm just I'm kicking your butt in this segment. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> I'm I'm going to reground us then. Okay. So if, do. if I was in the stratosphere, those last two, I'm going to put this one grounded in reality. Okay, good. Diamondbacks are going to have two all stars this uh, upcoming all star break. Do you want to guess who I picked? I want to say Christian Walker because he was arguably their best offensive player last year, and he's very good defensively. I think he won the Gold Glove, right? Yes. But at the same time, first base is a pretty busy position it's in the steep. National League. It's very yeah. steep. In particular, Paul Goldschmidt, RIP. Um, but Only Zach Gallen will be an all-star. That's one. And I'm guessing it's not Walker. I'm going to go Corbin Carroll. And that's my other. Yeah. I think in reality, since there's so many bold uh, predictions from other national sites that are seeing Corbin Carroll as a guy that's going to get a lot of triples, steal a lot of bases. And even with that, there is, you know, just like on gambling sites, like our friends at FanDuel, he has the shortest odds to win National League Rookie of the Year this year. I think he's going to have that, maybe not at the same level, 
but he's going to have like a Julio Rodriguez type of trajectory this season where he's going to become a darling to the national eyes by All-Star break. Can I take your prediction a step further? Okay. I'm going to make it bolder. And then italicize it or something like that? By the end of the season, Corbin Carroll will be the best, most well-rounded primary left fielder in the game of baseball. Two things have to happen for that. He obviously has to be pretty darn good. Yes. We know he can be pretty darn good. He's got some pop. I think he could hit 15 to 20 home runs. He could steal easily 30 bases. I think he's going to play an excellent left field. I think he could be a really good center fielder, but we've got Alec Thomas probably manning that position. Even Jake McCarthy, too. So if Corbin Carroll plays the majority of his games in left field, which is a possibility, who else is there out there in left field in the league? Jordan Alvarez certainly is a better player at this point in his career. He'll mostly DH. He could DH most of the time. Juan Soto is supposedly going to be playing left field. Because they put Tatis in right. But if he DHs more than he plays left field, Corbin Carroll can compete with the likes of Kyle Schwarber, Randy Arozarena, Stephen Kwan. I mean, these are the best left fielders in baseball. I think he can make his way into that mix by the end of this season. Okay. I'm with you on that. That's barring Alvarez and Soto not playing primarily left field. I have one more, but it's your turn. Oh, okay. I'll throw out another one. Uh, you've heard of Jordan Lawler. He is the Ooh. top prospect for the Diamondbacks at shortstop. I expect, or my bold prediction, is that he will get the call to the major leagues before the MLB trade deadline. So you're saying before the month of August? Before the month of August. Now, I definitely think he's a September call-up at the least. Mm-hmm. But the reason that I, I fast-track it a little bit, he had some time at A, but let's be honest, he's probably starting the year at A. He's going to need some time at A. But I think that the shortstop position is going to be so bleak, especially offensively for the Arizona Diamondbacks this year. Uh, Geraldo Perdomo hit 195, on-base 285, and his slugging percentage was lower than his on-base I think percentage. if his offense can't keep him in the big leagues, he's not going to last much longer. And Nick Ahmed missed most of last year with an injury, so I, I really don't know what to expect out of Nick Ahmed. He's in the last year of his contract, making $10 million. I think that if you get to July and you have a chance at a wild card and you could be a contender— I think it'll be very enticing for the Diamondbacks, especially if Lawler's performing the way he has in the minor leagues, in the fall league. You're going to want to call that guy up sooner rather than later. Yeah, I agree. We kind of have time for one more. Do you want me to give it or do you have one? Yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I'll just say it out there and then I'll let you say yours. Um, I think by season's end, the uh, closer for the Diamondbacks is going to be Scott McGuff. I wrote Scott McGuff will become the closer of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Look at that. We finally agreed on something. We did not talk about that ahead of time. No. We didn't talk about any of these ahead of time because you just made sure you could rip I mean, me every single one I had. I did like an hour-long podcast on this. Did you listen to it? Because then you don't get any. You're not going to make me answer that on air, are you? <laughs> uh, really quickly, it's tied at 31. U of A has the ball looking to score. They put up a three. No foul call. That looks like a block. So ASU's got the ball back. 31 all. There's about six minutes or so left in this first half. Again, if you want to check in on it live, it'll be on ESPN 620 or the Arizona Sports app. Or stay right here. We'll keep you updated. That's no worries. Coming up next, um, we had our first rule breaker in Major League Baseball. And you might not be surprised as to who it was, but we'll tell you who it is next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. Yeah, Footnotes. This is the portion of the show where we get to the stories that we liked, but didn't have a ton of time to really get into them. And, of course, with spring training back, it officially came back yesterday, Steve. And we had our first rule breaker. None other than... San Diego Padres third baseman Manny Machado. Oh, Do you want yeah. to know what he did? You probably already know. Oh, I heard. I heard what happened. We all thought the pitch clock was for the pitchers, but it yes. turns out it's actually for the hitters. <laughs> so for those that are unaware of this new rule, the pitch clock is officially a part of Major League Baseball this year. When the pitcher receives the ball from the umpire, they then have 20 seconds to throw their next pitch. But it's not just about the pitcher, right? The batter has to be in the box and ready to go by eight seconds on the clock. And because Manny Machado failed to do that in his first A-B, he was given an automatic strike one. Listen, I don't want this to become like a regular thing. I'm all for speeding up the process a little bit. But let's be honest about this. The changes they made to the rules are going to shave minutes, not hours, off of baseball games. We're talking about going from a 2-hour and 45-minute game to a 2-hour and 40-minute game. That's probably what is most likely to happen here. I mean, yeah, we can be cynical about it at first, but I also see it as, as the way that... The way that we consume media nowadays is in very short spurts, right? And I think baseball is just trying to match that energy. And I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL starts having conversations similar because NFL games have started to really, really drag on in recent years. Have they not? Or has it not felt like that? At it least? feels like it. By the way, this was not the only rule change in baseball that's already having an effect on games. Mm-hmm. Last year, Matt Olson had 81% of his at-bats he was shifted on. Today, he got his first hit in spring training. A ground ball between the first and second baseman. I love it. I Already love it. taking effect because there's no shifts. And if you've got a left-handed heavy lineup, you have to imagine that you're going to be in good company for that, right? Hello, D-backs. At least you would think. Um, let's shift to Coyote. So let's give some love again to Bickley and Murata, who had their Newsmakers Week this past week. They get to talk to a lot of bigwigs about big things happening in the Valley, right? And one of the big things happening for the Coyotes is they're trying to get a new stadium and a new annex and a new area built. They're trying to build this new arena on what used to be, or I guess what is, a, a landfill, basically, in Tempe. So you move out the landfill and you build in this new annex area. You've got a, a public rink for people to skate on, et cetera, et cetera. So Javier Gutierrez, the president and CEO, joined Bickley and Murata and explained what they will want from this entertainment complex. We're right in the middle of our campaign for the Tempe Entertainment District, which is, again, the first privately financed sports and entertainment district in the history of Arizona. It is going to the voters. We became the first developer in the history of Arizona to take uh, such a project to the voters proactively. Um, and we put it on the ballot for May 16th. We are in the middle of a campaign. And really what we're trying to do is is be everywhere in Tempe and share with them the vision of really transforming this landfill into a landmark and paying for it. What if the voters said no? Well, 
What would Javier Gutierrez say to people that want to say no? I think it's a, a number of things. First, it's a landfill. And in fact, it caught on fire last uh, summer, as, <laughs> yeah. as, as you guys know. And with, this is an opportunity to clean up a landfill and not have the city or its taxpayers vote for, uh, have to be on the hook for it. So number one, it's cleaning up a landfill. I think the second is just the economic impact that we're going to have here. 7,000 permanent jobs, uh, $13 billion in net new spending, almost $430 million dollars of net new taxes uh, for the city of Tempe, and then probably the biggest point, which is we're going to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get all the benefits. I get all the positives. I, I think it's a little lame that he even has to bring up the, like, it caught on fire. Like, it seems like a cheap shot at the I, landfill. I think but, he's trying to emphasize, uh, like, what is this for otherwise, right? Like, Here's the thing, though, and I know that it seems like a simple yes, but there's always the chance it's a no from the voters. When it comes to voting, I know this for a fact in politics, especially that it's harder, it's more expensive to get a yes vote on anything than it is to get a no vote. No is the default. You have to convince me of the yes. And that's what they're trying to accomplish right now is to convince the voters to vote yes. But you have to assume the default is no. And what happens when voters, if and when voters decide we don't want to give you your new stadium in Tempe? Well, you know what they're trying to convince people who want to say no? And they've Javier said it a lot in those two sound bites. We're going to pay for it. Right? Oh, yeah. I, I think it's going to happen. And I'm hoping it happens. I just don't, don't get me wrong. I don't know what would cause people to not vote for it. Maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way because I'm just, I just love sports in general. And I love these creations of these areas where you can mingle and you can hang out for a bit before the actual game. Like, that concept is starting to become a norm in sports across the country. The reason you have to start at no is the default is because, especially on, on, on a ballot, for any rule that will change, any law that could be changed is getting my vote means getting a yes. If I say no, things remain the, the same. Things are just back to the way they normally are. For me, it doesn't affect me. If you're not a Coyotes fan in Tempe, mm-hmm. a no vote is just like, well, life goes on true. Nothing in my life changes if I vote no. So the Coyotes still need to convince people to give them this opportunity. So there's a lot of legal hoops they have to jump through. Uh, Not as many legal hoops that a chosen Anderson had to jump through. You know Chosen Anderson, don't you, Steve? Fairly familiar. Chosen Anderson, or formerly known as Robbie Anderson, and then formerly before that known as Robbie Anderson. He changed the spelling of Robbie. So he changed it from R-O-B-B-Y to R-O-B-B-I-E to now Chosen Anderson. I don't know why. It begs the question, did he just not like the name? Or, does, or is he one of those people that just needs change all the time, but like, like a Ron Artest? But, like, why chosen? You know what I mean? Why chosen? I, I do get a... I don't want to offend anybody who has the name chosen, but I do kind of <laughs> laugh when people name their kids, like, uh, things like legacy or, like, promise or, you know, like these uplifting how, words about, but that really aren't people's names. Or how about north or saint or yeah, cardinal directions? Yeah. <laughs> You know what? Good for him. He's he's going to be called what he wants to be called. I, I'll never bash anybody for that. He but just, it just, does kind of make me laugh a little bit when people have names that are so, like, almost dramatic. He just will need somebody to call him because I don't know how much longer he's going to last in a Cardinals uniform, unfortunately. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, yeah. So remember that darkness retreat we were hearing a lot about? Oh, Aaron Rodgers? Yeah. So he is done with that. A four-day darkness retreat somewhere in Oregon. I don't remember where. 
If I remember correctly, so you're in complete darkness. You have a queen size bed. You have a meditation pad, and you have a restroom in like a 300 square foot space. Hell is wrong with people? Is it completely dark? Is it like pitch black? Is that the point of it? Black, yeah. So you're not supposed to see anything. No. How long does it last? Four days. I think I'd go crazy. Aaron Rodgers kind of starts at the default. Aaron Rodgers was already crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what? How much is changing with him? I don't know if I could do that. You you take no phone, I assume, right? No. Well, no. So there's no light. Nothing. What do you do for four days? Trev, what would you do if you were in a confined space with no light for four days? What would you do? I'd probably pull my hair out. Yeah. No video game, no sports. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably lose it. See, I don't know why people would do this. Is this just like a millennial? Th- well, I say millennial like I'm not one. Is this just a millennial thing? Or like, is this the new like TikTok trend or something like that? I think this is just that? a weird Aaron He Rogers says he thing. had planned this out for months. Like he was looking forward to it. Yeah. This sounds more like a punishment. Who looks to me. forward to a darkness retreat? No, that's really dumb. Maybe weird to us might be per- perfect for him. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, what's right for one might not be right for another, I guess. Really but. quickly want to hit on these before we get out. U of A and Arizona State. Arizona State just took back the lead, 42-40. You wow. can catch that one on ESPN 620. Then coming up next, Arizona Diamondbacks baseball here with us. Salute to the governor. Have a great final season, Gub, if you can hear us down there. Two games today. You can hear one of them here on 98.7 just after us coming up at 110. Uh, two different lineups, two different games we're excited for some baseball action. For my partner, Mitch Varelis, for Trevor Henry behind the glass, of course, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to Arizona Sports Saturday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.